So in verse 5, it says, And Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Right? So he shows up, and there's Ruth. And he asks, well, who is this lady? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So Boaz says to a servant, the servant being an overseer, the servant, um, it's kind of like a, a manager position, right? So he goes to the person directly underneath him who has people all, all underneath him, and he says, well, who is this person? And so he has this, this duty to oversee the operations in the field, to supply the provision to the reapers, and to pay them for their labor. And obviously, he's probably going to have this conversation with this person who's gleaning in the fields, and so he knows exactly who she is. And so when he asks this question of who is she, he already knows. And he, he tells her that this is Ruth, you know, who comes with Naomi from Moab. And Ruth is this, this godly woman. And we're going to see that this is a perfect match between two people, a godly, virtuous woman and a godly, virtuous man. And it's going to be a beautiful match, but as we're going to see that, that it, they, don't kinda, they don't see it to begin with. They don't see it to begin with because I think they're so focused on glorifying God and following God that it's not that they don't notice each other, but I don't think there was romance to begin with. You know, like there's always like this, we think of like, um, you know, uh, love at first sight, you know, like the butterfly feelings like, you know, she swept me off my feet or he swept me off my feet. Like I see her for the first time and like I knew I was going to marry her. That doesn't always happen, right? That doesn't mean that has to happen that way, right? Sometimes God works in crazy ways where you never expected each of you to be together at some point as husband and wife. Um, but the beautiful thing is that they're both walking in the Lord and they're both following the Lord. And I think as that happens, their, their paths cross to where then it turns to love, right? Because one of the things we're going to find out as we study tonight is that love is not based on what? Emotions, right? Man, if, if love were based on emotions... Gosh, as a teenager, you'd be in love with like 500 people, right? I mean, look, that's just how you are as teenagers. When you go and you got all these feelings, you've got all these things flowing through your body, the, the chemistry of your body, like that's just how God has designed us. You're going through a lot as teenagers. You go and see like a movie and you immediately fall in love with like, you know, the main actress or the main actor. And you're like, man, I, I wish like yada, 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 right? Every movie you see, right? Or, you know, the new girl walks in today, you know, or the new guy walks in, and everyone swoons, right, like it's, 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 it's ridiculous sometimes, but we understand that love, true love, is not founded on those things, those things aren't bad, right, like God has obviously given us emotions and feelings, you know, and I think they're good things, but we've got to be aware that when it comes to love, true love, especially the love that God has designated for us between husband and wife, is that it's a love that is not founded on those things. It's not absent of those things, it's just not founded on those things. And we're going to see that tonight. We're going to see how, how Boaz even exemplifies this type of love without it being even romantic, in a sense, or emotional, in a sense. 
Um, but obviously, we're going to see as it, as it develops further that it does turn into that type of romance, and it does bring about emotions, and it does bring about feelings. And so here's Ruth. You know, she's committed. She's caring. She's humble. She's a hard worker. My goodness, like, is, that's great characteristics and values to find within a man or a woman, right? Like, it's not just the man that should be the hard worker. The woman should be a hard worker, too. And we're going to see this with Ruth. We're going to see this as well as in the Proverbs 31 woman, that she is a hard worker, right? It just so happens that the work that Ruth is doing tonight is that she is gleaning in the fields, which is a hard job. She's doing it from sun, sun up to sundown. So she's all these things, but on top of that, she's a foreigner, she's a widow, she's a woman, right? All this combination that she has, and I think what that's going to do is it's going to, she's been brought so low that it brings about a, such a humility and a respect and a favor and a grace to everything that comes about her. Everything that, that happens now going forward is a true blessing to her. Because look, if, if everything that she went through, you'd had to go through, there's one of two ways that you can respond to that, right? My whole family dies. I'm left alone. I've left, you know, I've, I've left my, my people. I've left my land. Now I'm here just with my mother-in-law in a foreign land that I've never been in. I have to go now work in the fields from sun up to sundown. That's a lot. You can do one of two things. You can either be bitter and blame God, right? Or you can be brought so low and recognize that everything going forward is a blessing from God, Right? And, and be humble, and be respectful. And we're going to see this exactly from Ruth as we go through this. And so, it says in verse 6, again, that the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, this is what, what the servant says that Ruth said. She said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Why, why is that interesting? Why is that interesting that she would humbly ask permission? Because think about it. The law allowed her to do it. She didn't really technically need permission. But what does this speak of her character? Right? Knowing that she didn't just go in, you know, all, you know, arrogant and just like prideful and like, this is what I deserve. Right? This is what the law gives me. She could have done that, but what she does is she goes and she asks humbly for permission, even though it was something that was already granted to her. Again, that just shows you the character and the heart that Ruth has. And so he says she came and she's continued from morning until now. And I think what's interesting about that, because we're looking at somewhat, even in our study with 252 with Ephesians uh, chapter 6, where we're talking about you know, the role between an employer and an employee, Right? What it means to be a godly employer and what it means to be a godly employee. Some of you have jobs. Some of you have worked odd jobs. At some point in life, you guys will have a true job where you will have to report to someone. And one of the things you're going to find out is that, you know, dependent upon your work and your character and how you do things and how you handle yourself, like you will either be re rewarded or there'll be consequences to it. And no matter at any point, you're always going to be under inspection. You're always going to be watched right? Whether it's on purpose or not, right? There, there's times where I notice things about people even just within church, and it's not because I have a watchful eye and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to watch, you know, Noah and how he handles himself every night. No, I'm not, like, that's not my purpose, but God does give us understanding and awareness to things, 
right? The same thing happens, you know, when you're at a job. And so it's noticed. This is what I'm getting at. This is, it's noticed by, uh, from, or of Ruth that she's been working hard, that she's worked from sun up to sundown, that she's continued from morning until now, right? Here's the supervisor who just noticed that, right? And now this supervisor is telling the owner, right? Like this, this is, is putting her in a good light, right? And so I think it's important for us to understand, you know, even whether some, we know somebody's watching or not, that we do things faithfully, that we do things well, that we do things, you know, to glorify God. I think Paul says that in everything we do, do it unto, unto the glory of God, right? And to do it well, to do things without grumbling and without complaining, right? I mean, how many times do we do that? To do things without grumbling, without complaining. And here she is coming humbly, asking permission to do it. And then I'm, I'm sure I'm reading between the lines that she just puts her head to the plow or puts her head down and, and just goes and works. So in verse eight, this is uh, Boaz speaking to Ruth. He says, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women, lest your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not, ha- have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And I think one of the things that may have stood out to you as I read that was how he re- refers to her as my daughter, right? Like that's, like, that's not what I want my future spouse to call me, right? Like my daughter, I think partly has to do, we talked about this last week, is their age difference, right? That Ruth is much younger than um, Boaz. And so I think that's where this word, this Hebrew word, uh, it's, it's bath, which means daughter, but it's in context of this contrasting age that each of them have. But here we're going to see Boaz demonstrating a great level of care and concern for Ruth. And I would even uh, say that this, this would be a type of love, that he's showing love to her. Again, we always think of love as, you know, something that's, that's romantic and that only has to be shown, you know, between a husband and a spouse. But love can be shown, you know, amongst friends, amongst strangers. And we're seeing this here with Boaz because this love is something that he's not gaining anything from this, right? Am I right? He's not gaining anything, but he's looking after her well-being, right? And that's, that's the type of love that God wants us to display, an unselfish love that's not looking for anything from it, right? But it's, it's for the, the better of the other person, right, to build them up. And so there's seven things here in, this, in these two verses where uh, Boaz is going to give her or tell her, right? And this is where we're going to see love, but we're also going to see grace, right? I think, I think you have the combination of grace and you have, and you have the combination of uh, her working hard and her being rewarded for it and being recognized for it, right? But I would say more so grace, that here this stranger, this foreigner, this widow, this woman is being shown grace by this man. And so the first thing that he tells her and commands her and gives her, it says, don't go and glean in another field. Stay in my field, right? Stay here. Second thing is, again, don't go away from here. Stay here. The third thing he says is, stay here with my servant girls, right? And so there's, I want to say it's a promotion, but it's, it's, it's clumping her in, not with just somebody who's gleaning and given this opportunity as a widow, but now you can step up and you can stay here with my servant girls. He says, watch the field. This is the fourth thing. Watch the field where the men and the girls are harvesting. 
Like he's just bountifully giving her grace. He's giving her so much, all within the short amount of time, and giving her so much grace. The fifth thing is that she's to follow after the girls, right? Again, she's given the opportunity and the privilege of gleaning alongside the servant girls. And what this does is, remember, she comes to, to Bethlehem alone, in a sense. She comes with Naomi, but Naomi's at home, and now Ruth is alone. So now what does this provide for Ruth as she's out in the fields? It provides companionship, right? It provides friendship. She's no longer alone, but now she's gleaning with and going after the girls. This thing that he says to her or gives her, he says, I have ordered the men not to touch you, right? Or to hoot at you or whatever it is, right? Whatever happens in the construction field. Um, I don't know why this was said, um, whether it had tried to happen or knew it could happen, um, but, but Boaz provides protection here and comfort, and peace for Ruth. And remember, there was respect from the workers to the employer. And so if he says, don't do this, I'm sure that they abide by that. And so she's afforded this protection from whatever it was that the mill servants were doing or what they may have done should there have not been any protection. So Ruth finds protection. The seventh thing, the last thing is, he says, whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars, uh, that the men have filled. And so, again, this is another privilege that wasn't ordinarily given to somebody who came to glean. And so she's given this amazing privilege to go and find refreshment. All right, so much grace. And remember, as, as we study through this, who is Boaz a picture of? Jesus, right? Jesus. And so we are then the picture of Ruth, right? Ruth is the widow, is the foreigner, is the woman. It's like, like she, she didn't deserve anything in that sense with everything that happens, right? Like we are the Gentiles, we are the outcasts, we are the ungodly. But what does Jesus do for us? He, he bountifully gives us grace and shows us love when we least deserved it. Actually, we, I can't even say deserve because we, we don't deserve it in any sense, right? But he's done it and he's given it to us and he's shown us That's the amazing thing and the beautiful thing. And so this kindness of Boaz, it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And again, you don't see any romance happening here, right? But you do see love. And a a love that's displayed like Christ, right? That's looking out for the better of the other person, expecting nothing in return. Because what can she provide him? Nothing at this point, nothing. And again, and it's not... I'm sure, too, that it's not about a physical attraction either. Because what has Ruth been doing all day? Right. (laughs) Sweating. Like, ladies, imagine, like, you've been busting your butt for 12 hours in the fields. You know, you've got your, I I don't know what you're wearing, right? But I'm pretty sure that if a man comes, or a a boy, I'll say a boy comes, the last thing you would expect was, like, that, that, that boy would be interested in you. Right? You're like, oh, gosh, this girl, she, he probably thinks I stink. I probably got, like, my mascara running and my hair's all disheveled. You know, I, I, whatever. I'm not wearing my best outfit. I'm sure that Boaz could still even see her beauty, but it wasn't about that. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't about that. It wasn't only that. And, and yet, he still extends kindness to her. Right? That it wasn't about 
the physical. It wasn't about anything other than the kindness of his heart and to show her love and to help her. And so in verse 10, it says, So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Again, the respect and the humility that she shows to Boaz as she bows down to the ground. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes? What's the word for favor here again? Grace. Thank you. Grace. Right? We talked about that last week. She says in verse, I think, what was it, two, that she hopes to find favor in the sight of, of someone that, that she can go glean in their fields. And here she's found it, and now she's questioning, why have I, why? Why have I found favor in your eyes? And I feel like we, we could probably bring the same question to Jesus, like, why me? How have I found favor? Again, the beautiful thing is that, that Jesus has decided and chosen irregardless of who we are and what we've done, right? He's, he's decided to give us grace and to show us love. So this attitude that she has, it's beautiful and it's amazing because, again, what are the two different types of options or, or outcomes or responses that we can have based upon what's been happening with Ruth? Well, we, we can see either this, what she's actually doing, or it could have been like, wow, it's about time. It's about time somebody noticed how hard I've been working, right? It's about time I finally, something good happens to me, right? Like everything's been going bad and, you know, this is, it's finally, right? Somebody's noticed I've worked hard all day. Now I'm going to get what I deserve, and I think we, as people, are more entitled than we should be, right? And, and this entitlement that's been bred into us, you know, just because we're humans and we fight against our flesh, but even more so with, with the culture that we live in in America, we're entitled to everything, that we're always right, that everything should be given to us, that it's all about me, 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 right? That's the culture we live in. And here we see the opposite with Ruth, where she just has this amazing humility, Right? She's been brought so low that now all she can do is trust in God and give him glory for any good thing that she receives. So she falls on her face. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I love it. So Ruth here is given this grace or favor, as she says. Boaz notices her, gives it to her. In the same sense, we see God doing the same thing for us. He notices us. He gives it to us, right? We're foreigners, just like Ruth. We have no rights. We have no inheritance in the land, right? But God, who is rich in what? Mercy, right? He notices us. He finds favor in us. And so the Lord shows us mercy and grace. And when he gives it to us, he doesn't just give us a little, right? What does he do? He lavishes it upon us. He abundantly supplies it. Ephesians chapter 1 really expresses this, verses 3 through 8. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as the sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. 
God chose us before the foundation of the world. And listen, man, I, I know in this room, I'm not going to say there's many of us. I'm going to say there's all of us in this room that are undeserving of any goodness and grace and favor that God's given us. And if you question that, if you think, uh, then you really don't understand how sinful you are or how wicked and gross our sin, your sin is because it's bad. All of ours, okay? Like it's, it's, we're all in the worst extent of it. It has separated us from a holy God. And he had every right to get rid of us, to start over. I, I don't know, whatever he, whatever he could have done. But he took, remember, he took that one path to bring us back to him. There was only one option. And that one option was to send his only begotten son to die in our place, to receive the wrath of God on our behalf, right? And he's given us grace by showing us and providing us faith to trust in him. And so we now have this option combined with his, his predestination, combined with that, we have this option, this ability of our own accord, of our own free will to put our faith in him. And if we put our faith in him, as Ephesians says, we are abundantly supplied so much grace. And for those of us who recognize our sin, we're like, how, why? I don't deserve any of this, right? It's, it's exponentially more than anything you've ever experienced, any type of grace or forgiveness you've experienced here in this life, right? Maybe you've experienced grace and forgiveness from your siblings, a friend, your parents. You've done something wrong and they've extended you grace. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But that's, that's grace that's given from one sinner to another, right? But the grace that we receive from a, is from a holy and just God who is the one that we have truly sinned against, right? Because our sin, the wages of it, is death, which is separation. It's not separation from each other, right? I mean, that can happen because of sin, but ultimately the consequence is a separation from a holy God. So this is Boaz's answer as she says this. He says to her, has been fully reported to me in all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Remember, now, now her reputation is like, it's being noticed, it's being seen. The things that she's doing, I, I don't want to say in the dark, but probably when she's not expecting anybody to watch her, is now being noticed. This is her character, right? Her character is being seen, right? It's not something that, that is, you know, turned off and on, right? Your character is, is, when, is revealed when nobody's really watching. And so it's being noticed. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Good character, good reputation is better, as Proverbs says, is better than great riches. And Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, a good name is better than precious ointment. I mean, these, these are Proverbs, wisdom that has come directly from God in expressing that in this life, that this is better than what we think is better. That the good name, that your reputation, the things you do in secret, the things you do when nobody's watching, the character of who you are is better than any precious ointment, riches, silver, and gold. And he says there in verse 12, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so here we see the culmination of the theme. And what's the theme of this entire book? redemption, right? 
because he is the, the kinsman redeemer. Here's this redemption that is happening here, the, the theme of redemption of the book of Ruth, where he's declaring here that God, the God of Israel, is bringing Ruth under his protection, right? That the God of Israel here, under whose wings you have come for refuge. This is where she finds protection. This is where she finds safety. And it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's where we find our protection. We find our safety. Ladies, listen. I, I want you to understand this. You don't find your protection and your safety in a man. You find it in who? In Jesus and God, right? Now, God will, and I, and I hope and I pray that he will provide you a godly man that, you know, he can use to provide you uh, a, a, a picture of that protection, right? Like, I, th- I think it is the man's responsibility, the husband, the father, to, to their ability to protect. But I know as a husband and a father that I can't do what God does, right? And I hope that you, you don't put that expectation on your future husband, right? Or even your father, right? That, that it's truly God who provides the almighty protection, right? And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing, and it, and it frees a lot of us from unexpected or, or unnecessary expectations. And so Boaz says this. Boaz is obviously the kinsman redeemer in this story, but he always points back to the Lord, that it's, it's really God who's, who's doing these things. And he's, again, he says, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge, acknowledging again that Ruth has come to put her trust in the Lord and has seen, he has seen by her actions that she trusts God. Listen, this is Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4. It says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield in your buckler. And I don't know what you're going through, and maybe you're not going through anything, right? But maybe, maybe you're having, you know, struggles just internally in your mind, in your heart. Understand that you can go before the Lord, and he is the one who truly protects. He's the one that you can find refuge in. I mean, that's what we all want, even, even us men. You know, like, we try to be tough and, and act like we can take care of ourselves, but at the end of the day, like, I want to be hiding under God's wing just like you are, Right? You know, me and, me and Ariana over here, like, even though I'm a grown man and she's, you know, 11-year-old little girl, like, I, I'm going to be just as scared and find that refuge in, in my father's wings, right? Like, it's not, about, it's not about my own strength and my own ability and where I'm at in life. Like, I need to understand that no matter what, that I find my refuge in God, right? No matter what. And so I can't put these, these expectations that only God can do on other people, Right? And don't put it on yourself either, because y- you can't live up to what only God can do. And Boaz recognizes that. Boaz says this to Ruth, that she will find what she needs under the wings of our God, the refuge. You know, it's, it's like, again, it's, it's a picture of, you know, baby chicks finding refuge under their, their father, their mother's wings. You know, and I think, you know, think of babies, right? What can they do? Well, they can do like two things. Well, three things. Cry, sleep, poop. Yeah. 
Poop and throw up are the same thing. It's just two different ends. That's all they do. But listen, listen, listen. We are just like babies. Like without God, we would be just as helpless, if not more help. I would say more helpless than a baby without parents. Right? I mean, like, what if a baby didn't have parents? It, yeah. It would die. Well, what is, what is man without God? It would, it would, we would die, right? We would last a little while, but then we would ultimately, we would ultimately die. But again, God's not just out here to just keep us alive, right? It's more than that. Like he provides so much more than just being alive. Like, again, we talked about all these riches and blessings that God provides for us. What, what is, what does John tell us? That Christ came to give us life, and life more abundantly, right? Not just, you know, like, here's eternal life, you know, and like, all you have to look forward to is, you know, eternity. Well, no, God also does care about this life that we live now. Does he know and does he share with us and and give us guidance that the life beyond this one is way more important? Of course, right? But he still provides so much in this life that we have now, even the blessings, now, the blessings aren't always what we think and want them to be. You know, we, we think we'd rather receive this rich inheritance here on this earth right now, you know, $20 million. But he provides us with the things that we need because he's a good father.